Good to see you all uh, this morning. Thankful for uh, Brian leading last week's class. I heard there was a lot of good interaction, discussion, so I hope that was helpful. So let me, uh, let me pray and we will get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for the life and breath that you give us today, for the opportunity to come together, to learn, to grow, to fellowship, to hear uh, from your word, to sing your praises. Uh, Lord, we're looking forward to what this day holds for us, and um, we pray that you would work among us, that you would teach us, instruct us, that your Holy Spirit would illumine our minds, and give us wisdom from your word, and help us to grow, uh, especially through this class, in uh, wisdom in how to speak uh, to those that you give us the opportunity to minister to. Uh, So Lord, use this time for your glory's sake, in Christ's name, amen. All right, well, we're turning the corner now to kind of the the back half of the four-point outline of the Love, Know, Speak, Do. So we have just about four weeks left, I guess it is, or I guess five. Is that five? Because you got four weeks in March, and this is the last week of February. So, um, um, what was I going to say? So we're turning the corner and moving forward to the next category, which is speak. So we've talked about love, that you know we're called as agents of change, people in need of change, helping others in need of change. We're called to, to love uh, those that God has put in our life to um, ex- exhibit the love of Christ to them, that uh, one of the ways we do that is to know them, that we can't get to the place of speaking unless we know the person and that we understand the situation. Uh, key verses for that that are just important to have in your brain are Proverbs eighteen thirteen, He who gives an answer before he hears, it's a folly and shame to him. And, uh, and I don't remember what the other reference is, if it's verse 17. Um, you know, he, he who makes his case first sounds right until another comes to uh, examine him. Uh, so we need to really know and understand and ask questions. And, of course, one of the challenges with that is we we often don't know what we don't know. So we don't always know what are the right questions to ask. And that's just where we trust the Lord and we just start headed heading down the path of loving uh, ministry and getting to know someone and trust that the Lord will uh, guide us into understanding and uh, help us to uh, discern uh, how to best minister to a person. Uh, there's a little booklet that if you're interested in growing and asking questions that I would encourage you to consider getting. It's called uh, Questions uh, for the Heart. No, that's not what it's called. No. <laughs> I was going to say, wait, what? Uh, what is it called? I, I, I didn't think ahead of on this, obviously. What was the other one about? Uh, questions on the heart level. That's pretty close. Questions on the heart level. Effective question asking for biblical counselors. It's it's, it's really a small little booklet, um, and uh, it's by Julie Gan Chow, but it's spelled G A N S C H O W, like Gans Chow. Julie Gans Chow. Yes, questions on the heart level. And uh, just a, a helpful little resource to think through a lot of the different kinds of questions to ask. And she also uh, uses a lot of different um, 
issues or scenarios, uh, you know, different questions to ask in, in those kinds of things. Good morning, Austin. So, um, anyway, so that's a resource you can use, and it's just one of those areas that we're always growing in. Uh, I ask different kinds of questions now than I did five years ago uh, because I've just been learning and growing, and I'm sure that'll change over the next five years because I'm always learning and growing. So, uh, so asking questions is, is vital, but at some point, you actually have to get to the, to the point where you speak, where you give some kind of, of counsel, where words come out of your mouth that aren't questions, uh, where statements are made of one kind or another. And so that's what we want to talk about today and next week. And so today is, is going to be more of a, a little bit of an overview, just of what are the kinds of things that we should be thinking about uh, mm -hmm. when we are uh, getting to that place of, okay, now I need to say something. Uh, and then next week we'll get a little bit uh, deeper. Um, and uh, this is going to be really helpful, I think, uh, even though some of it will be, if you will, high, high level. Um, but uh, the challenge is that in talking in a context like this of, okay, how do, you, how do you minister to people? How do you speak to them? The challenge is there are a million different kinds of conversations you might have with someone. Uh, and so we're, we're, uh, we're not able to say, well, in this situation, here's what you say. And in that situation, that's what you say, because that we'd be here the rest of our lives trying to detail out every possible situation and what you might say in all of those situations. So, so just understand we're, we're speaking generally uh, and then, you know, principally, uh, what are some priorities of things to be thinking about? And then uh, this is where we again, we're dependent on the Holy Spirit to know how can we effectively minister to the person in front of us. You know, when, when you're being used by the Lord to be an encourager, a helper, an admonisher, a counselor, there is no one right way to do that. There is no one right thing that you must say in this moment. And if you don't say the right thing, you blow it. That's not how it works. Uh, we are called to speak the truth and love. And so we want to start there. So turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. As we think about this responsibility, opportunity to minister to others, um, and what, what is it that we are to say? Well, we want to start with the, the reality that God calls us to speak the truth in love. And uh, we see that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and verse 16. Where Paul writes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So if we want to be uh, used by the Lord to help someone else grow in their life in whatever way that's needed, whether it's overcoming suffering, um, or rather enduring suffering, overcoming sin, uh, receiving comfort or encouragement, uh, whatever it is that they need to grow in their life with what the Lord has, has put in their life, uh, the way that that happens is that truth needs to come to them. That truth needs to come to them in the shape of love, if you will, in, in the form of love so that it's rece received well. You know, you think of... Uh, the pills that uh, we often take, you know, there's the gel-coated caps and there's the different kinds of pills and those, those different 
forms are intended to uh, uh, enable the medication to work according to its function. There's, there's some forms of a pill that, it, that allow for instant uh, working of the pill. There's other forms that allow more of a, a delayed uh, release of the medication, right? In a similar way, uh, love should characterize our speech so that when we speak the truth, it is most easily received. Now, of course, we understand that no matter how you say something, no matter how loving you are, you can't control how they receive it because they, they might not be in a frame of mind to receive it, but it is still our responsibility to make every attempt to speak the truth in love. Related to this, just flip over to Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Just another similar passage of how we are to speak to one another. He says, Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So, so the word of Christ, the scripture, is to dwell in us. And there's, you can interpret this two ways. Either uh, it is to dwell in you personally, that, that the word of God should be inside of you. It, it should saturate your soul. You should know it. You should meditate on it. You could also interpret this as a co- collective corporate reality, that the, the word of Christ should dwell among us. And I, honestly, I think it's the more personal interpretation that is uh, more accurate, uh, though both are true theologically. Uh, because really, when he says teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, that's where it, it dwells among us collectively. That uh, if the word of Christ is what's on our minds, if that's what is shaping your thinking, then that's what will come out or ought to come out. And if that's happening for all of us, we will be teaching one another and admonishing one another. And the word admonishing there comes from the Greek word nutheteo, so nuthetic counseling, if you're familiar with that language, which is basically a reference to biblical counseling. Uh, it can be translated admonish or counsel, uh, minister uh, to someone. Literally means to put into the mind, uh, uh, put truth into the mind. And so uh, what Christ calls us to do is to let the word of Christ so saturate our own souls that as we engage with one another, our speech teaches and admonishes each other. And of course, that's characterized by wisdom. And, and wisdom indicates that we're not just to quote Bible verses to each other. That's a good thing to do. But wisdom means how do we marry the, the truth of Scripture with the application of it in a person's life? So that they know, okay, this is what the Bible says. Uh, this is maybe a, 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 an encouragement. This is a command. This is a reminder of, of uh, what Christ has done for me. This is an expression of hope. Uh, but then how do I actually apply that and put that into practice in my own life or in the life of another person? So, so the word of Christ is, is used and applied with wisdom in our life. All right, another passage. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And this is where I want to, in a sense, say the same thing, but emphasize it a little bit more, that when we think about how do we minister to someone, how do we speak, what do we say, 
Uh, it is critically important that we prioritize the Word of God as the content of what we say. And again, not necessarily quoting it exclusively, but uh, using it, applying it in, in that person's life. In other words, we are not to be thinking about our own opinions. We're not to be thinking about, well, what would I do if I was in their situation? Uh, we're to be thinking about how does the Word of God minister to them. We'll talk a little bit more about this as, as we go along. But uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 really emphasizes the need for this. All Scripture, it says, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Word of God is exhaled by God, it's breathed out, it's, it's inspired, as some translations would say, and it's, it has a purpose, it has a use, it has a, a profitable benefit for our lives, and, and that's identified by teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And you've probably heard uh, me say this before, and I, of course, got this from somebody else, that those can be identified as teaching is what is right, <coughs> kind of sets the standard, uh, reproof, what is wrong, the converse of what's right, correction is how to get right, and then training is how to stay right. So teaching, uh, reproof, sorry, yeah, teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, what is right, what isn't right, how to get right, and how to stay right. All of those are necessary if we're going to be agents of change in the lives of others, but perhaps the most significant one or at least the most uh, emphasized one uh, in, a, in a counseling or encouragement conversation is correction. And another word you can think about correction is rebuke, where you're, you're well, both uh, reproof and correction together, where you're rebuking and you're trying to help someone see what's wrong so that you can help them move in the direction of what's right. Now, can we be honest with each other? Uh, nobody likes to be rebuked. Uh, nobody uh, tells their friend, hey, uh, can we go out for coffee next week because I really would love to rebuke you. <laughs> and the other person responds, oh, that sounds fantastic. Let's do that. I really want to talk about that. Right? None of us like that. Uh, but that kind of conversation is important. We typically think of rebuke as something that is harsh, that's mean, perhaps, that's you know, demeaning, demoralizing, whatever you want to say there, but, but the reality is rebuke is a loving act, and it should be communicated in a loving way. There are times when, when someone does need a direct uh, statement of what's wrong, when there's obstinacy, rebellion, where there's a severe need for a warning of someone who's going down the path of destruction, uh, but there's many times when a rebuke doesn't sound harsh. It, it doesn't have sharp edges to it. it it's soft. It's... it's uh, uh, it, it comes across in, in a loving way. And so we have to overcome, and this is something that I've struggled with uh, over the years and hopefully will continue to grow in, we have to overcome our fear of speaking the truth uh, because we don't know how that person will respond. We don't want to offend them. We don't want to uh, hurt their feelings. Uh, we, maybe we don't know how they'll respond, and so we just we just rather leave something alone. Uh, but the reality is we have to speak the truth in love. We have to articulate uh, what 
God's word says so that we can help them escape uh, the situation they're in. And that's mostly in the context of pattern of sin. So rebuke and correction are essential. And again, what are we, what are we using? We're using the scripture. Uh, when I teach biblical counseling in the fundamentals class, I've often said that the most difficult aspect of biblical counseling is simply knowing the word well enough to use it. We can talk about principles of communication, asking questions, and some of the um, skill dynamics of engaging in a, in a conversation, you know, working through things. But if the content of the scripture isn't in your mind, you're not going to be able to bring it out in that conversation. And so this is why there's both the blessing and the challenge of biblical counseling. The blessing is... However long you've been a believer, you have been taking in the Word of God. Uh, You've been hopefully reading it for yourself. You've been hearing sermons. You've been reading books. You've been in small group Bible studies. You've been at this church growing disciples classes and other churches, you know, other kinds of classes. Hopefully, however long you've been a believer, the Word of God has been getting in you. And so that has created a reservoir of understanding that you can then use to minister to others. But uh, the challenge is the way in which that's come to us, all of the truth of Scripture, sometimes has not been in the form of, well, here's how it applies to life. In many situations, it's, it's very academic knowledge. It's theological uh, truth that we haven't really connected to how to administer to someone. And, and frankly, this is what the challenge that many pastors have because most seminaries, and this is a universally understood reality, most seminaries don't train pastors how to minister the word to people in the challenges they face. Psychology has been totally brought into the, the church in this respect, and so pastors are trained how to meet with someone, how to triage, if you will, just discern, okay, how serious is this issue? And then within one or two, or maybe at most three meetings, okay, refer them to a professional, refer them to a, a, a Christian counselor or psychologist. And so uh, many pastors just don't think of the Word of God as sufficient for being able to help people with the troubles that they face. And um, one, of the, one of the great things uh, that, that we've seen over the years, uh, and of course I'm, I'm a newer participant in this, in the biblical counseling movement, is how many pastors are coming to realize, whoa, the Word of God is actually sufficient. It actually can be used to minister directly into the, the lives that people uh, have, their suffering, their marriage problems, their you know, depression, their anxiety, you know, whatever it is that's going on in their life. And, uh, and so, uh, in the same way, as the people in the church, uh, we've often not been taught how to minister the Word. And so the truth has come to us. We understand theology. We can articulate biblical truth. Uh, but we've not necessarily learned how to then minister it and, and apply it to the challenges that people face. So that's, that's one of the great challenges of, of being an effective minister uh, to other people. And so I would just encourage you that as you think about uh, your own growth and sanctification, that you consider how can I grow? How can I learn the Word of God, not just for its doctrinal content uh, and its uh, accuracy and reflecting biblical history and, and all of that, but how can I learn the Word of God in a way that will help me minister it to other people? So I don't just have a you know, big orthodox head, but I, I have a, a heart 
that can take the truth and minister to others. Because that's what should be filling our conversations. And again, not always quoting the, the scripture, though that's helpful many times, but, um, but ministering it with wisdom. Okay, any particular, let me pause there, just comments or questions. Well, uh, so the question is, uh, if you're a, a true Bible believer and you want to study psychology to help people, kind of, how does that, how does that work? Is that no, summary? A... Yeah, so um, the, the reality is all secular uh, theory, secular psychology is um, uh, naturalistic, it's materialistic, it's based on the theory of evolution. There's, there's over 300 uh, mutually exclusive competing theories of, of psychologies, of how, how do you help people, what are people's problems, what are the solutions, what are the methods that you apply. Um, uh, and so when a person pursues education in psychology to become a psychologist, they're exposed to uh, a lot of different ideas, uh, quote-unquote research, but a lot of different ideas. And as they progress in their educational process, they have to begin to uh, kind of create their own personal views of, well, what do I believe? What am I attracted to in terms of theories and practice? And, uh, and so, uh, so a person has to go through that process. And, um, I mean, different people will respond differently to that. But what, what often happens, um, or, or what happens in some people, is they start to feel like, well, wait a minute, this is, this is categorically different than what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what... The explanation they're giving for why people have problems is fundamentally different than what the Scripture says uh, as to why people have problems. And then their solutions are are not the Bible's solutions. Uh, What often happens is there, and this is not a, I'm not trying to demean anyone, this is just, I think, a fact, uh, is there becomes kind of a, 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 what's the right word for it, a break in their thinking of, well, when I'm doing my work, I think psychologically, and when I read my Bible and when I'm at church, I think about the Scripture, and the two don't really connect. Uh, I, know, I know someone who has been a psychologist for well over 30 years, very accomplished in the field, got saved later in life. Uh, so we were, they were doing psychology for many years apart from Christ. Uh, but they got saved and just continued to do their work, not seeing the connection. And a- after a while, realized, well, wait a minute, um, maybe my faith should inform how I practice. And so started investigating that and pursuing that. And, uh, uh, and I've had many conversations with this individual. And, um, and, and so there are many who, who think through that. But what often happens, you know, I, I make a statement in the sermon today about um, whenever you uphold the Scripture and you put something right alongside the Scripture, the scripture always gets sub- submitted to whatever the idea is. That happens with, you know, like Roman Catholicism, that tradition always supersedes scripture. Uh, that happened with the Pharisees, you know. Um, that happens with psychology where, yes, I, I believe the Bible and psychology is, is a truth, and I'm going to hold them together, but what ends up happening is the Bible becomes less true than psychology for many people. Uh, and so there's uh, so much in the world today of uh, you know Christian self-help ideologies that are fundamentally psychological and not biblical, uh, but they're clothed in in Christian garb. 
Um, and uh, so we talked through those in the counseling fundamentals class. Um, and so, uh, it's, you know, all of us as believers, we have areas of, uh, that we need to grow in uh, to see more consistency, to apply the truth of God more consistently in our lives. Um, and so if, if I had the opportunity to, uh, to talk to people who are psychologists or trained in psychology, which I actually do a fair amount for different reasons, um, you know, those are just conversations that, that I would have of you know, how do you connect these things together. Yeah, Joshua. Is there a difference between rebuking someone and giving unsolicited advice? Uh, yeah, rebuking would be more for the purpose of showing them that there's something wrong in their life. There's something dishonoring to the Lord in their life. And, and you're you know, doing that for the purpose of helping to uh, see them uh, repent and, and return to the Lord. We'll, we'll come back to that here in the notes. Uh, whereas giving unsolicited advice could be on any issue, um, you know, could be, hey, here's what the, car, the kind of car I think you should get, or here's, I mean, I don't know. Uh, it could be on any issue. It doesn't necessarily have to be a problem in their life. Let me, am I answering the question there? Or? Well, yeah, I was just wondering, like, basically that, like, how you rebuke somebody, but without, like, saying you don't want to shove it in their face. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that. Oh. We'll, we'll keep talking about that. Yeah, I think hopefully that'll become a little bit more clear. Karen. I was going to say that um, I talk, I was going to college, and for uh, being a counselor, and I had, I still have, like, 40-some credits, mm-hmm. but... I didn't believe in the philosophy, so mm-hmm. I quit. Yeah. I just quit. And the instructor was, you know, he was upset because I was very good and I was going to, they wanted me to leave the police youth department. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I just can't do that. But So I quit and never went back to it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, because of me not having a church or nobody to guide me in what to do, I just let it go. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that here, like those classes mm-hmm. and things like that, but, um, you know, the Lord just guides me. You know, mm-hmm. I knew it was not, I knew it wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Just for me, I mean, mm-hmm. for the Bible mm-hmm. and all, it yeah. just wasn't right. Yeah. The way they wanted me to, to talk to people and teach people, I yeah. just couldn't do it. And if that yeah. meant not having a degree, then that's what it meant. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a mm-hmm. degree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 When I, uh, when I candidated here uh, over five years ago, I, honestly don't remember who it was, don't remember her name. There's a, a young lady in the church uh, who is a psychologist, and I don't, I don't remember, um, I, she's been gone for a long time, so I, I, yeah, I, I don't know uh, anything other than this conversation I had with her at that time, um, where I had, part of the candidating process was I did a, a seminar on biblical counseling, and you know made some statements along what I just said of that we're not speaking highly of psychology. And so uh, I had heard that, you know, she was offended. Uh, and so we ended up able to have a private conversation uh, during one of the activities. And it was good. Uh, and she acknowledged that if she, this is the example she used, that if she had a suicidal transgendered client, that as a state licensed psychologist, she at most could try to help them not be suicidal. She could not say anything to them about their transgenderism. Uh, that would violate the ethical codes of state of Maryland, and you know she could lose her license. Uh, and, and I was trying to point out to her, yes, that that's what I'm talking about. Like, it, as a 
a secular, uh, as a secular in terms of the, the substance, psychologist, licensed by the state, uh, you're hindered in that you can't say what is true. <laughs> you can't help people according to the truth. And, uh, and that's one of the challenges that many face. Now, some, some find ways around that, and I don't know how all of the legal things work there, but, um, uh, but, but many are constrained in, in that way, and they, they do wrestle with that as they wrestle with their faith. Ron, you were going to say something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. How do you counsel unbelievers? And the, the short answer for that is uh, you, you, you do the love, you do the know, you know, you seek to get to know them because they're a person made in the image of God, so you really want to understand their, them and their situation. Uh, and part of then speaking the truth to them is to help them see in, in a gracious way that uh, the issue that they are feeling is so uh, um, you know, oppressed by or the, what's weighing on them as significant as that is, that's not as significant as their greatest need, which is their separation from Christ. And so, um, so that's a conversation. And you know, if someone's coming to you, uh, you always want to be clear. Uh, you know, if they're an unbeliever, you always want to be clear what your authority is, what your, uh, what's the basis of the counsel you would give. So, like here at the uh, at our counseling center at the church, you know, we put on our website. This is what we do. We counsel from the Bible, and we do have on occasion unbelievers come uh, to receive counsel because they've tried everything and nothing's worked. Uh, our counseling's free, and so like fine if if it's free and you're willing to talk to me, I'm willing to hear what you have to say. And there's opportunities for the gospel uh, in that. And sometimes it's just one conversation; they don't come back. Sometimes, I mean, I've seen the Lord save people uh, in counseling. So uh, you can be praying for Hong. Uh, uh, she didn't ask me to say this, but she's counseling. She had a first session with an unbeliever this week who came to our counseling center. So, um, yeah, those are opportunities. Josh, yeah. So I appreciate what you said about the reservoir that you gain just from all the exposure that you have. Um, but I don't know how to ask this, and I don't know if you can answer it really. <laughs> but how important is it to actually know chapter and verse because oh. if you're not a numbers person mm-hmm. it's hard to remember references even though you might have a lot of principles of scripture and remember yeah. words of the verses mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. how important is it to actually know references and counseling yeah well it's a good question and my answer to that would be um when you read the new testament uh, how many quotes are there from the Old Testament that have chapter and verse? <laughs> None. Because <laughs> there were no such thing as chapters and verses. <laughs> so uh, the Word of God is the Word of God, and we can minister to it without knowing chapter and verse. It's helpful if we can, because then we can say, hey, let's turn in our Bible, or hey, this week I want you to look this up. And sometimes we can you know, uh, look it up ourselves later. And here's, But in terms of the conversation, it's not, it's not critical. All right. Very good. Well, good, good questions. Uh, we could talk a long time about uh, that kind of stuff. All right. Uh, uh, one more verse uh, for the moment. Uh, Ephesians 4.29. So we, we've talked about uh, our calling is to speak the truth in love. Uh, and uh, the, the substance, uh, the most important information that we're uh, conveying as uh, agents of change in the lives of others is the Word of God. Uh, in this, I want to just... Uh, emphasize what we're trying to accomplish. And, and we saw this in Ephesians 4, 15, and 16, but I just want to re- reaffirm it in verse 29. 
He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Uh, corrupting talk is talk that tears down, that rips apart, uh, that, that is harmful to another person. Uh, and, and so we're not to use that kind of speech. Which means that even when we have to say something hard, when we have to point out sin in another person's life, uh, when we need to be direct, we should do it in a way that's not destructive, that's not corrupting, that doesn't tear at their soul, that doesn't demean them, that doesn't deny the image of God in them. Uh, So even in the difficult things, our aim is to build them up, uh, to, to help them grow as a person of Christ, and as it says there, according to the need of the moment, or as fits the occasion, that was the NAS that I quoted there, uh, that it may give grace to those who hear. So even when someone receives a rebuke, um, and it, you know, assuming they receive it well, uh, hopefully they should, they should hear it in a way that they're like, wow, I'm so thankful you've brought this to my attention. Thank you for sharing this with me, that they're grateful for how you've conveyed even difficult things to them. And, uh, and that uh, will help to build them up. So those are just some, uh, again, some very high-level uh, principles of the kinds of things we're thinking about. We're, we're speaking the truth, we're speaking the Word of God, we're applying it with wisdom, uh, we're seeking to, to, to build others up, to correct them, to help them to grow uh, in righteousness. All right, now let's let's kind of get down to some some specific, uh, some more specific principles here. Uh, these are just things to think through uh, because if you know there's there's conversations that you have that are unexpected, unplanned, and you know you didn't have time to think about what you might say, but then there's other conversations that um, that are planned or that you're planning in your mind. <laughs> And so this first one is, is related to that. Uh, before, if you have the opportunity, before you have a conversation with someone where you're wanting to uh, speak the truth to them, uh, I would encourage you to consider yourself first. Uh, you can consider yourself in the vein of Matthew 7.1. You know, take the log out of your own eye, uh, which means that, you know, if it's a conflict situation, are there ways in which I've contributed but this, what we're talking about today is not comp- those kinds of situations, but keep that in mind. Uh, but key, key things to consider is, what, what is my attitude toward this person? Uh, am I angry at them? <laughs> uh, am I frustrated? Uh, am I bitter toward them? Uh, or do I have an attitude of, of, of uh, compassion, uh, an attitude of, of love, um, uh, am I um, am I able to to speak with uh, a tone and with words that are building, or am I kind of too much into my emotions that I I can't really control what I'm going to say? Just consider that. Uh, you can consider what your what's your motivation in speaking to them. Uh, what what uh, what are you trying to accomplish? Is there vengeance in your heart? You know, if someone sins against you and, and you know, there's a need to confront, is there something in you that says, I want them to know the pain that they've caused me? They've reviled me, I need to revile them. Is there, is there anything like that in your own soul that would not allow you to communicate uh, in a loving way to them? 
Um, also consider what is your goal in talking to them? Uh, what are you trying to move them toward? Uh, are you trying to get them to agree with you? Where you're just building a case that the, the end result you're hoping for is that they say, you're right. <laughs> I'm wrong. Uh, or uh, are you trying to, in, in a, another type of situation, are you trying to bring them up to your level? Like you see something in their life that you don't think is wise. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a matter of Christian freedom or, or wisdom. But you see something and you're like, I, I want them to make the same choice as I do. <laughs> So I want to convince them that what they're doing is wrong so that they can live like I do. <laughs> um, or are you trying to get them to comply with your desires? That you just want them to do what you think they should do. And so you need to have a loving confrontation so that they are conformed to your will. None of those things are good. Okay? None of those things are good goals to have. Uh, the right goal that we should have is, uh, well, threefold at least. Uh, I'm going to go out of order here because this makes sense. Uh, here are some goals that we should have when we're thinking about uh, uh, having a conversation with someone of, of a uh, admonishing, rebuking, uh, counseling type. Uh, our goal should be for us and for them to glorify God, first and foremost. I want to glorify God in how I communicate with them. And I want them to, uh, to grow in glorifying God in their life. With whatever, whatever the situation is. A choice that they need to make. Suffering they're enduring. Sin they're uh, in a pattern, uh, stuck in a pattern. Whatever it is they're in, I want to help them glorify God uh, in and through that situation. Uh, second, our goal should be to help them to see themselves in the mirror of God's word. Again, it's not about our opinion, our standards, uh, our desires. Our goal is, in, in, in some ways, to, to hold up the Word of God to them so that they can see themselves in the mirror of God's Word. So that they're not thinking, uh, oh, Gabe just wants me to do this, and Gabe thinks I should do that. No, no but like, it's, it's the Word of God <laughs> that they're having to contend with, uh, what the Scripture says. Um, and then, having seen themselves in the mirror of God's Word, our goal ought to be to help them move toward repentance. And of course, this is referring particularly to issues of sin. Uh, that they should move in the direction of repentance. And, and repentance, keep in mind, repentance, the definition of repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of life. Change of mind that leads to a change of life. A person can repent and not yet change their life because they just haven't had enough time. <laughs> uh, and so um, the change of life is a validation. It's a proof that true repentance has taken place. But the repentance itself is a change of mind. The, the word literally means, in, in the Greek, metanoia, it literally means change of mind. So we want to help them move in the direction where their mind is transformed to think that the way that God would have them to think, right? Where they acknowledge sin for what it is, or they see their circumstances the way that God sees it, and then they embrace uh, what God's standard would have them to embrace, or whatever truth God would have them to embrace 
that they set aside the, the old man, they set aside wrong ways of thinking, and they embrace right ways of thinking. That's, that's repentance. And then that will then lead to a change of action in whatever way that's needed. Both of these are brought out in Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 7. I'll start in verse 6. Uh, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. You see it there? The two dynamics. There's the thoughts, and then there's the way. Uh, and then it says, Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon so we want to help someone see themselves in the mirror of God's word so that they can move toward repentance, a, a, a changing of their mind to see things the way that God does, knowing that they will find in God a loving, gracious, merciful Savior. I think one of the things that hinders our rebukes uh, many times is we are so focused on the what's wrong and the call to repentance that we forget to include, oh yeah, there is a Savior. <laughs> there is forgiveness. There is grace. There is compassion. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that because the last section here is talking about the gospel in, in these conversations. But, but those should be our goals. We want to help uh, the person glorify God. We certainly want to glorify God in our own speech. We want to help them to see themselves in the mirror of God's word. And we want to help them move toward repentance uh, which um, is a change of mind. All right. Yes, Colleen. Yeah. Prior to us getting to a point where we want to help them glorify God, see themselves in the mirror of God's word and repent, and we're still over here in the I'm kind of angry. Yeah, yeah. Is it okay? Because, look, the, the, the bottom line is, is, we're probably going to see these people prior to our hearts being right and our hearts saying, oh, I really want to help you glorify God, etc. So is it like okay to avoid them? Because, no, because my feeling is that if somebody is coming to me or I'm seeing them or whatever, and I'm not, my heart's not right for them, there's not going to be any I want you to glorify God kind of thought in my head at the time. Mm -hmm. So how, how do we, do we just mm. zip, not say a word and, and flight and walk by? Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. how do you deal with those kind of situations? <laughs> uh, those are tough, aren't they? Yeah, when your, your pain and sorrow just prevents you from being able to have these kinds of conversations. And frankly, the other person in their heart, that might be obstinate, that might be unwilling to recognize how maybe they've caused sin and brokenness. And, and so, uh, you know, it may be that both of you aren't quite ready, or at least you perceive that both of you aren't quite ready. Well, uh, I would say to that a couple things. First of all, when, when we know we're struggling in our thoughts toward another person, we have to uh, really uh, spend time with the Lord uh, with that. Um, we have to embrace for ourselves what God says about us. That 
um, I mean, there's so many things here, but uh, that no one, uh, let me rephrase that. We have sinned against God infinitely more than anyone has sinned against us. And God has forgiven us. And so he calls us to forgive others. Uh, we, we need to remind ourselves that uh, God knows our pain. That Christ carried our uh, grief and our sorrow at the cross. That he so identifies with us that he understands exactly what we're going through. And so we can cry out to him in our sorrow. Uh, we have to remind ourselves that uh, God is the judge. And uh, in his grace, he has chosen not to judge us for our sin. And he has not put us in the place of judgment of others. But rather, he's called us to entrust judgment to him. And to recognize that is to recognize that this person, you know, Whatever we perceive about them, uh, if if they're not a believer, uh, of course only the Lord truly knows that, uh, they are under his wrath. Um, if they are a believer, uh, God disciplines those whom he loves. He doesn't allow sin to go uh, without discipline. And so there's still a, a concern that we ought to have uh, for them in their life of how the Lord may deal with them. Uh, but we, we put that person in the Lord's hands to say, Lord, you are the judge. Uh, I'm not the judge. Uh, and so uh, those would be just some basic things that come right to, to my mind. And those kinds of thoughts enable us then to obey Christ when he says, I love those who hate you. I pray for those who persecute you. Um, do good to those who do evil to you. Overcome evil with good. And so... Um, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, we can do, uh, as instructed in Romans 12, is practical acts of kindness. Uh, we can speak in ways that show love, even if we're struggling. Uh, we can um, find ways of uh, putting our, our body into action to demonstrate love to that person, writing them a note, uh, if... if um, if that would be appropriate, uh, sending them a gift anonymously if, if we think that doing it in an identifying way would, would bring challenges. But just thinking about, okay, how can I apply the principle of uh, giving water to those who are thirsty, feeding those who are hungry, overcoming evil with good, uh, as well as uh, blessing those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. You know, Jesus, or Paul says there... Um, uh, I don't remember the exact wording, but uh, basically, give thought, think in advance of what can you do that other people, when they observe your actions toward your enemies, would be blown away. Be like, wow, that was, that was amazing. What kind of thing could I do for that person? Um, so th- those are all things we can do to, to, to work through things in our own heart and then some practical things. Uh, certainly praying for them, praying for God's blessing uh, in their life. Um, and uh, I believe that if we're actively doing those things, the Lord will soften our heart uh, toward them. The Gospel for Life class, I would encourage you to listen to that, or uh, Milton Vincent's uh, lessons called the um, Evangelizing Those Who Wrong You, which, if you can follow this path, uh, the counseling page on our website, there's a resources tab, there's a link 
to Evangelizing Those Who Wrong You. That's a super helpful series. Yeah, I, um, we all have different propensities and different weaknesses. Some are given to, to just take things in and, and internalize and process in a, in a deeply emotional way that can make them prone to depression, uh, things like that. Uh, that would be uh, not so much a personality, but uh, just a particular weakness uh, that they need to grow in as they grow in Christ. Uh, so, um, we just need to consider, uh, is this something that is pleasing to the Lord? Are they processing, processing this in a way that's pleasing to the Lord? And if, if not, then it's something they can grow in. Uh, because our personality doesn't make us sin. Nobody has a, well, we all have a sinful personality. <laughs> so, there's nobody has a uniquely uh, sinful personality. It, we all have propensities one way or the other. Um, you know, some people are so insensitive to situations that they sin out of their insensitivity. Um, and so, um, though some might be prone one way or the other, if, if their response is not thinking rightly uh, with God's thoughts, then, uh, then we minister to them according to that. But also, maybe the other thing I would say is knowing someone's propensities uh, helps us have compassion and patience uh, to know that I just understand that this is this is a weakness of theirs and I'm just going to be patient with it. Yeah, for, for those of you who didn't hear, and I'll say for the recording because that was really helpful, uh, that when you're rebuking someone to uh, make sure that their sin breaks your own heart, that you're not doing it in anger, but you're rebuking them out of a broken heart. Yeah. Uh, that's a good, good insight. All right, Karen? What is what if you're counseling someone in the church and you know their husband and wife and you're counseling, self-counseling the woman and she's cheating on her husband? Like, can we just say we don't want to counsel them anymore? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what do you do in that yeah. situation, yeah. you know? Because um, I know it's strict confidentiality and all that, but what do you do? There you from last week, okay. from the story. Okay. Yeah. So what is biblical is uh, Matthew 18. That, uh, Matthew 18, 15 to 17. That if uh, someone is in sin, you rebuke them. And if they don't listen to you, you bring one or two others along uh, to confirm the facts. And if they still don't listen, then you bring it to the church. And so if someone's living in an unrepentant pattern of sin, uh, God has given us instructions in his word of how to uh, help that person come to see that they can't do that and still claim to be a believer. And so, of course, the goal is restorative, that, that they come to repentance. But if they ultimately don't, then the church has a responsibility to publicly rebuke them and say, we can no longer validate your profession of faith if you're continuing down this path. So... With that being said, do they know when they come to counseling here that if they're doing that, that we're going to say something? Like, do they know, like, when they, when a person comes to counseling, they yeah. know it's confidentiality, correct? Well, the way we explain confidentiality is we are as confidential, we keep things as confidential as the Bible will allow us to. Um, uh, but the Bible doesn't allow for strict mm -hmm. uh, confidentiality like okay. would happen in maybe the Catholic Church or in a licensed ther therapeutic environment. Mm -hmm. uh, because there might be times where we need to tell somebody uh, about sin, you know, because of church discipline, 
or we need to, you know, I as a counselor might need to seek help from somebody who's wiser who can help me think through the situation. Um, you know, the situations like uh, child abuse or, or things where we need to get civil authorities involved. There's all kinds of situations. You know, it's rare, admittedly, but there's situations where I, I can't keep this secret. And I've said that to some people, um, I mean, maybe just one or two times over the years, where I've said, because I sensed they were about to tell me something uh, significant. I said, just, just so you know, oh, okay. we don't practice complete confidentiality. So you need to decide what you're willing to share. Um, obviously, we are uh, super discreet, and so we don't go around you know, telling people uh, things, but, uh, but not absolute. Yeah. All right, well, let me, let me walk through a few more things here. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll come back and uh, finish up uh, next week with additional content, but think about what does the person need? Again, if, if you have the opportunity to really consider what will be involved in this conversation, think about what this person needs. And again, this is where uh, we're, we're talking about an innumerable number of potential kinds of conversations. Uh, so is this a situation where this person has been deceived by sin and they're blinded by sin? Uh, that they just can't see that, that they're trapped in, in a pattern of sin? Uh, is this a situation where this person is brokenhearted by suffering? And maybe they're responding in a sinful way, but really at, at root or at, alongside that, there's brokenheartedness. That it's not overt rebellion, but it's a broken-hearted, sinful response. That, that should temper or alter how you approach them as opposed to someone who's obstinate and rebellious. Um, are, are they misled by false thinking or doctrine? You know, maybe the kind of conversation you have is someone wrestling with the assurance of their salvation because they haven't spoken in tongues. Well, that's, from our understanding of Scripture, a false teaching that speaking in tongues is a valid evidence or is the necessary evidence of salvation. So maybe there's a correction of, of doctrine that needs to take place. Uh, are they overwhelmed and controlled by their emotions? Where you just have to be aware that they're not actually thinking rationally, they're thinking very emotionally. And so you have to approach them with that understanding and try and move them in the direction of thinking rationally and not emotionally. Because if someone's just caught up in their emotions, it's going to be hard for them to receive truth and, and live it out. So you have to deal with, with the, the level of their thinking first. Uh, or is it a situation where they're forgetting their identity in Christ? That their response, their, their sorrow is really out of uh, forgetfulness of who they are in Christ in, in the different facets that that involves. Uh, are they forgetting the gospel? You know, are they overwhelmed by this thought that God is punishing me? You know, I sinned in this particular way, and now God's punishing me, and that's why I have this problem. Well, that's forgetting the gospel, because the gospel is that Christ has punished, Christ was punished for all of our sin. There's no punishment left for us. Uh, you know, we could, the, 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 we could go on and on, but those are some of the main ways of thinking, just what does this person need? What is, what is their situation? And again, that, that uh, leads us to ask questions if we don't know, or hopefully we've asked questions to think through some of those things. All right, I want to uh, briefly walk through gospel in conversations. Uh, so often in uh, people helping conversations that we have, uh, we're 
quick to respond to the need of, uh, to the practical needs of the conversation. I had a conversation recently with uh, 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 two parents, with uh, mom and a dad, uh, who were having struggle with one of their kids. And it would have been tempting for me to say, well, here's what I think you should do with that child. <laughs> um, we often need to back up and slow down and consider what do the parents need for their own soul? Uh, what are they struggling with in their own heart? Uh, just amongst, either as individuals, as a mom or as a dad, or between the two of them in their marriage. Um, like part of this conversation was how they're not always on the same page uh, with one another as they deal with the situation. So what do they need for themselves? And what, what should they be thinking about in terms of priorities? Because again, when, when we have a, a difficulty, a trial, uh, we're thinking very practically about the situation and we're kind of forgetting priorities. Uh, and so a priority, uh, the, the number one priority always is glorify God. Uh, so one of the things I, I said to these parents, uh, just in, in encouraging them as I was learning information and hearing ways in which they were acknowledging they were sinning in the situation. So I just want to remember, do you have an opportunity here to glorify God in how you respond to this situation? That you know, before you, you think about how should we deal with our child, you should be thinking about how can I honor the Lord in my own heart and in my responses? Uh, how can I represent Christ well to this to this child? Um, and so um, we, we need to think about what does the person need for their own soul before we can get to the true practical, you know, kind of the steps and process or path that they need to walk. So uh, what are some common themes to, to think through that might be helpful in, in a situation, in a conversation? Uh, what are reminders? We can put it that way. Because if we're talking about the gospel, we're not usually thinking about uh, brand new information that someone's not heard before if they're a believer. So what are the reminders that we often need when we're struggling with something in life? Well, we often need the reminder of what Christ has accomplished for us. That his death and resurrection has accomplished our redemption, that we are forgiven in Christ. We often need that reminder. We often need the reminder of our identity in Christ, that we are justified, that we're slaves of Christ, that we're children of God, that we're new creatures in Christ, all the different identities that Scripture conveys to us. We often need reminders of the resources that we have because of what Christ has done for us, that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, who is our comforter, as Jesus calls him in John. We have the Word of God, which uh, speaks the truth to us. We have the people of God who minister to us. God has given us these rich resources, and we often need the reminder to take advantage of them. Uh, sometimes we need the reminder of our future hope. You know, that because of what Christ has done for us, our eternity is secure. Um, this is an interesting moment. The other night we had the college students, or the college group over uh, to our house, which is a couple of students, um, and uh, one of them asked me just a random question. He's like, if you could die and go to heaven right now, would you want to? <laughs> and split second, yes. And uh, I thought, oh, my wife probably doesn't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> right? um, and 
and I was explaining, you know what? There will never be a moment that I will get to heaven and think, man, I wish I could be back on earth for a little bit longer, right? So if I'm on earth, then I will always, I should always want to be in heaven at any moment. Of course, you know, we would feel bad about our family and the sorrow and all that, but, but in terms of my own perspective, yeah, I'd rather be in heaven. And, uh, and, and you know, that's a reality that we need to remember that heaven is always better. Heaven is always better. And maybe for someone who's looking at the gates of heaven from their life in terms of their nearing heaven, they need to be reminded of that. Uh, maybe for someone who uh, is enduring suffering, they, uh, they need to be reminded that uh, however long this in, uh, endures in your life, heaven is coming someday. And the, the eternity of heaven uh, on the new earth it, uh, far outweighs the sufferings of this life. So we have a future hope that we often need to be reminded of. Uh, we need to, to be reminded of our calling as believers. Uh, because Again, because of what Christ has done for us. And, and you can divide up Ephesians in this way. Chapters 1 through 3 is the articulation of, of uh, Christ's work of salvation and all of that's involved in that. And then chapters 4 through 6 is our calling as believers. You know, Paul says, starting on, in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, uh, because of these things... Uh, uh, I'm forgetting it right now. Uh, I therefore, as a prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So, yes, Christ has saved us, He's forgiven us, He's redeemed us, but that then leads to a lifestyle that He calls us to, which is not a a legalistic thing, but it's based on what Christ has already done for us. So we need to call people to live according to to God's design. Uh, Related to our resources, we often need uh, reminders of the power that we have in Christ especially this would be for someone who's battling sin and just really struggling to overcome it, that they're thinking to themselves regularly, I can't stop, I can't not do this, I can't overcome this. Uh, Only an unbeliever can say that. A believer can't say that and can say, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can. I may not want to. (laughs) I may choose my sin many times. I might prefer my sin even. But I can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, overcome sin. And then finally for now, um, our model. We need to be reminded of our model. That we can look to Christ as our example of one who has suffered unjustly, one who's experienced everything that we have yet without sin, uh, one who loved us uh, in such a sacrificial way. Um, And so we can always be pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And though, you know, our temptation might be to, to say, well, yeah, of course, that's Jesus. <laughs> He's God. He can, he can do anything. Of course, he endured this or avoided that or whatever. The reality is Jesus lived his life empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a mystery to us of how can the God-man and the Holy Spirit, how does all that work? Well, we, we don't know for sure, but we do know that Jesus lived his life empowered by the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit came upon him you know, in the, uh, at his baptism. Uh, and Scripture says a number of times that he did his work by the power of the Spirit. So if we too have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, we can imitate Christ. So those are the kinds of reminders that we often need to, to convey to others uh, according to the need of the moment, as fits the occasion. Again, what's their need? What, what are they forgetting? How can I build them up? How can I encourage them? Um, 
and then once once they're again if they're a believer once they're secure in Christ then we can move toward uh, specific uh, put off and put ons uh, correction and training all right um, any particular questions before I close yeah what is right what is not right uh, how to get right and how to stay right. Yeah. All right, let me pray.